This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Coming up on the podcast today, I got Evan Silva, fantasy football guru, co-founder of Established a Run, back on the podcast for a second time. We're going to talk lots of Fantasy football and how it relates to the Buffalo Bills. Of course, the Bills went out and traded for Stephon Diggs. Evan will tell us how he projects him into this lineup in terms of fantasy value. We'll talk about John Brown and Cole Beasley, how Diggs being in Buffalo may affect their fantasy value going forward. Of course, plenty to talk about Josh Allen going into year three as a starter. Barely on fantasy radars last year, ended up being a top six quarterback in fantasy football. Get Evan's take on him going forward. Devin Singletary, plenty more. And of course, we'll go around the league. Tom Brady, DeAndre Hopkins, Melvin Gordon, Todd Gurley, Phillip Rivers, Bridgewater, so many more guys. I'll ask Evan what he thinks of where they went and how it affects them in terms of fantasy. We'll talk about the Sabbath to run, all kinds of stuff coming on with my boy, Evan. I'll have that for you in just a minute. Before that, I want to let you know that today's show is being supported by Audimute. For nearly two decades, Audimute has set the standard for providing cutting-edge acoustic treatments for recording and sound environments. From your home studio to commercial settings, such as the office, restaurants, gyms, and auditoriums, Audimute is the best sound treatment company out there. That's because they refuse to compromise on the quality of their products and service ever. Easy, green, affordable. My home studio has Audimute acoustic panels, and the difference is literally been remarkable night and day. Look, don't just throw up foam on your walls, decide it looks pretty and call it a day. It might look the part, but it's not going to improve your sound. Visit Audimute.com for info and deals, including a free room analysis form and the ability to speak with an acoustic specialist. Do your sound, do the people who hear it a very big service. Go visit Audimute.com. And on that note, let's do it. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. All right, let's do this. Episode 206. Thank you, everyone, for listening. My guest today, one of the preeminent figures and experts in the fantasy football industry. He co-founded Established the Run alongside Adam Levitan. Had him on the podcast last summer. Talked 2019 Bills. Got him back on today. Little sneak peek at the 2020 Bills, especially from a fantasy football aspect here. My man, Evan Silva. What's going on, dude? Pat, what's up, man? Uh, doing well. Just trying to stay, keep my distance from people right now. <laughs> But, uh, you know, we could do this over Skype and um, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking some ball with you, man. Yes, for sure. I mean, I, I think sports fans need 
ball. They don't need to talk about everything that's going on in the world. But I, I do got to ask you, man, how are you doing? You got a family and everything like that. I'm mm-hmm. sure these are very trying, if not scary times for you, just like everybody else. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm doing all right. And um, my, my family's doing good uh, so far. And, you know, we're, we're trying to plan for the future, but everything kind of changes day to day. I think that, you know, even the experts in the field that, you know, they're learning more and more about what's going on and, and hopefully, hopefully passing on to us uh, good quality information. And, you know, I, I'm just trying to do my part and, and not get sick and not, you know, uh, spread anything that I might have and just staying away from other people because it seems like that is the best option that we have, at least here in the short term. Yeah, no question about it. And like I said, for people listening, we're going to dive right into some football talk because I feel like that's what sports fans need. I do want to say, though, I mentioned at the intro, I had you back on. It was episode 138 last July, and we talked bills. But beyond that, we also spent a pretty good amount of time talking about your life and your career growing up, your education, your background, and all that stuff. So I just want to advise fans, if they didn't check that out, to go listen to that. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. It was a really good, fun conversation. This time will be a little more straightforward because I feel like, especially today, now more than ever, with literally no sports going on, it's never too early to talk a little fantasy football. And again, more Mm -hmm. specifically, the NFL and the Buffalo Bills and obviously being primarily a Buffalo sports podcast. That's where I want to start. Now, since the the start of free agency, the Bills only made one notable move on the offense, literally only one when it pertains to fantasy football. But of course, it was a very, very big one. They go Mm -hmm. out, they trade four picks, a first, a fifth, a sixth, and a fourth in 2020. And they go get Stephon Diggs from Minnesota. Before we get into like his numbers or fantasy projections or anything like that, just wanted to ask you for your initial thoughts. When you heard about that trade, now DeAndre Hopkins, a guy traded previously, I think it might have even been the same day, earlier in the same day, in fact, it was. But anyway, when you first heard that trade that Buffalo was uh, going to acquire Diggs, what was your initial reaction to that? Um, I love Stefan Diggs. I mean, he's one of my favorite receivers in the NFL. Uh, one of the most predictive uh, statistics year over year uh, that we use in fantasy football, and that just per- pertains to real-life football, is yards per route run. A, st- a statistic uh, via um, Pro Football Focus, and it's, it really does a good job of identifying players that might be a little bit underrated or just, you know, the best players in the league uh, from a receiving standpoint. And Stefan Diggs this past year tied for second in the NFL in yards per route run at 2.67 behind only Michael Thomas, who was at 2.88. And that, that goes to show you just how efficient he is with uh, his targets and his opportunity and his time on the field. It's a reflection of, you know, a lot of different variables that go into yards per route run. And uh, he is, you know, right right near the top of, of wide receivers in the league. In terms of the compensation that the Bills gave up, they gave up a lot. And But I think that from the Vikings standpoint, that's what they needed to get. Uh, they needed to get a lot in order to give up Stephon Diggs and because he is that special of a receiver. And I think that um, it's a deal that really could just work out for both sides. I anticipate it working out for both sides. The, Bill, the Vikings needed to clear some room uh, with their salary cap, and uh, they needed some more picks. The, the bottom end of their roster is really, really thin right now. And the Bills, I think their roster is better top, from bot, top, to bo- top 
to bottom than the Vikings, for for instance. But I think that um, they need they need a little bit more star power up top. And I think that any time that you can put, um, you know, plus assets, plus contributors around Josh Allen, like the Bills have been very, very aggressive in consecutive off seasons doing that. Last year, they really revamped the O line. They revamped the the uh, the you know, the pass catcher core, and they're still adding pieces. They're not stopping there. And I think that that's exactly how you need to approach Josh Allen uh, as he enters his third NFL season. And I think mission accomplished, essentially dropping Stefan Diggs into the offense, pulling out Isaiah McKenzie. Isaiah McKenzie will be back as like, you know, a, a reserve slot receiver and um, a special teams guy. But, you know, you're, you're essentially dropping Stefan Diggs. You know, you're bringing back John Brown. You're bringing back Cole Beasley. And you're dropping Stephon Diggs into that role that was occupied by Isaiah McKenzie and, to a lesser extent, Duke Duke Williams. And, um, I mean, that's just a colossal upgrade for the offense and for Josh Allen's outlook. Yeah, for sure. And I'll tell you what, one of the many reasons why I wanted to get you on this podcast today is it's refreshing to have a non-Buffalo sports media take. Now, that's no disrespect to anyone in the Buff- Buffalo sports media. But your reaction to anything I ask you about the Bills is going to be 100% completely unemotional and I feel like unbiased. So from a Bills perspective, again, the criticism that I've heard, I want to say a very small percentage of fans, maybe 30% or so of the media is that the team overpaid to get them. Again, I'll read it off again. A first, a fifth, and a sixth this year and a 2024th next year. From a Bills perspective, and let's for one split second here, we'll lay off the fantasy aspect of it. Just the team itself, the offense last year lacked. John Brown was very good last year, so I don't want to say they lacked um, a number one receiver because he kind of filled that role, though a lot of people don't think he's necessarily a true number one. I think the sentiment is that people consider Stephon Diggs a legit number one wide receiver in the NFL. But if you look at it this way, and if I'm wrong, let me know by all means. If you take those picks and you package them and you went by a draft value chart, which I do, I know, and you know this too, means very little in today's NFL, the actual draft chart itself. But that only moves them up three, four, maybe five spots from 22. And you look at the big three wide receivers in the draft, there's no chance, or I should say there's very little chance, I shouldn't say no chance, that they would have gotten one of those three guys. And up top, and I'm thinking it's Judy, it's Lamb, and it's Ruggs. Those guys might have been all gone. Mm-hmm. So whether they stayed at 22 or moved up a couple spots, who knows how that fourth or fifth wide receiver would turn out. Whereas suppose I, I kind of feel like you know what you're getting with Stephon Diggs. Proven commodity. He's still young. He's under contract for four more years at a reasonable salary for a number one receiver anyway. So when you mm-hmm. take all that into account, from a Buffalo perspective, do you think he overpaid or the team overpaid? No, no. I mean, I think that, that I think it, it's a deal that, you know, not like trades really are made to benefit both teams. And, you know, in, in theory, I mean, I know we always think about, oh, who, who got ripped off in this deal or we'll look back in three or four years. And, you know, if Stefan Diggs got hurt or something or the player that the, uh, the Vikings drafted with their first round pick, if he ends up being a bust, we can look back with the benefit of hindsight and say, oh, that team got ripped off. But really, when the trade is executed at the time of the trade, it's supposed to benefit both teams. And I think that that is what I expect to happen here. Now, Stefan Diggs does come with the big salary that, hey, if the Vikings had, you know, 
or if the Bills had stayed put and taken, I don't know, Denzel Mims, you know, not one of those top three receivers that you mentioned, but say right. they took like Denzel Mims and they would have gotten him on a, a really cheap deal, then that, you know, theoretically would have been a more cost-effective means to approaching the wide receiver position. But at the same time, Denzel Mims, very unproven. Baylor receivers have been, you know, up and down as, uh, as NFL players. And also, um, it doesn't matter as much for the Bills. They have Josh Allen on a rookie contract. They have, pl- you know, they have plenty of flexibility to be able to put uh, Stephon Diggs onto their roster at, at, this, at his current salary number. As you mentioned, he is not a guy that is um, you know, overpaid uh, in terms of his, his contract. And so, no, I just really truly believe that it's a deal that should benefit both sides. When you look at the Bills' offensive line, so they add Stephon Diggs, they re-sign Quentin Spain. So essentially, it certainly looks like the Bills are going to run it back on the offensive line. They add Diggs to an offense, and now you got Josh Allen. You mentioned this. He's going into year three as a starter. We had a conversation last year, Josh Allen going into his second year. Much different story, okay, because the 2018 Bills roster stunk. We had no idea if Brown or Beasley, how they would fit into the offense and how Josh Allen would do. Now you've seen him. Last year, fantasy football-wise, he was actually ended up being a big asset. He was one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL from a fantasy aspect. Going in the air three, do you feel like now he's completely out of – there's no more excuses, basically, is what I'm getting at right now. You got your number one receiver. You got an offensive line. There was some continuity in it. You got your offensive coordinator. He's back with you for a third straight year in Brian mm-hmm. Dable. Do you feel like it's time to put up or shut up for Josh Allen, both from a – I want you to speak first from a, a football aspect. And then maybe secondly, a little bit from a fantasy football football aspect, because like I said, fantasy wise, he was good last year with numbers. Oh yeah, he's an awesome fantasy quarterback, and that is because mainly because he is such a good runner, and he's so good around the goal line. He's yeah, he really you can draw a lot of comparisons between Cam Newton early in his career and Josh Allen early in his career, and. Um, what you want is for that arrow to continue to point upward for Josh Allen from a passing standpoint. And that's why going to get a guy, a true number one receiver like Stefan Diggs makes so much sense right now. You're, I mean, you're talking about one of the best three receiver sets in the league, Stefan Diggs, John Brown, Cole Beasley. Uh, I think that Dawson Knox showed enough as a rookie that, um, you know, we, we can, we can start to talk about him, but, yeah, I mean, Josh Allen, from a fantasy standpoint, I just, I'm doing a, um, a dynasty league draft right now, and it's a two-quarterback league. Uh, so quarterbacks have more value, and I just took him today, uh, Josh Allen, at the 4.01 pick, the first pick in the fourth round. Mm. That's very, very early. He was the, I think he was the sixth quarterback drafted. Um, somebody took Joe Burrow ahead of him. Oh, uh, and I, wow. Yeah, and I... Uh, the exact pick uh, before me. Um, so I, but I was thrilled to get uh, Josh Allen there as the sixth quarterback off the board. He finished as the number six fantasy quarterback this past year with, you know, before they acquired Stefan Diggs. And uh, I, I think that all that continuity that you talk about, especially with the coronavirus making it so that we're not going to have off season activities and, you know, assuming that there is a, a, a 2020 NFL season and, I'm praying that there, that there will be. I'm also praying that we can get over this virus. But, uh, you know, as we head into that 2020 offseason, it's all that continuity that they, that they are maintaining um, 
on offense and they're really doing it on defense. And even at some of the guys that they've added on defense, like Vernon Butler and, um, you know, they, they're, they're guys that the, the, that Sean McDermott is familiar with that Brandon Bean is familiar with. So all this familiarity and continuity that the bills are, are maintaining. I mean, I think that that really could go a long way and give them an advantage, especially early in the season. Now, when it comes to Josh Allen, again, these are kind of like two separate conversations from a fantasy aspect. Sure, his value is very good. You just took him in the fourth round of your draft, so that says everything that needs to be said right there. From a football side of things, okay, a non-fantasy football side of things, if he doesn't progress this year because he did have moments where he did not get it done, he could have played better in the Houston game, the playoff game, Mm -hmm. although I'm certainly not going to put that loss squarely on Josh Allen's shoulders. That's completely unfair. Other guys didn't do their jobs as well. But let's just say, for the sake of discussion, he doesn't improve any more next year than he is right now. Let's just say he's pretty much at his ceiling. I'm obviously speculating. I hope that's not the case. But if it was, do you see a scenario maybe next year, kind of like how it's playing out with the Chicago Bears? Mr. Bisky had a couple of years, didn't really mm-hmm. reach his potential. He got to a point and he didn't seem to get better. And then they go on and they trade for Nick Foles. They got a pretty big contract to do that. And now there's a legitimate competition. Whereas this year, quite obviously, Josh Allen is going to get handed a starting spot, as he should. He's earned it this year. But if he doesn't improve this year, is that leash like going to get real tight where you might see a legitimate quarterback come to Buffalo to compete with him next year? Well, I don't think that... Uh, I think that the Bills are doing a lot more. They're being a lot more proactive than the Bears were um, regarding what they are putting around Josh Allen. Like the Bears just, they pretended that they arrived uh, entering last season. I mean, they, you know, they, they went through this audition where they held like, you know, they, they brought in 10 kickers to minicamp and they pretended that, that the double doink, as it is famously called in Chicago, uh, that, that, that they were just a kicker away. They, like they literally convinced themselves that they were a kicker away. They didn't go out and add anybody uh, in the receiver core. You know, they just brought back the exact same receiver core, and they they over they overrated uh, how good Taylor Gabriel was. They got nothing out of Trey Burton, who's just been a colossal bust uh, at tight end. You know, they they hoped that ju- they just hoped that Anthony Miller would get better, and he did. Um, but I mean, he doesn't really move the needle. And they went out and they traded up for a running back. And they've used a ton of draft capital to acquire, you know, proven veteran players and to tra- and to make trades up in the draft. They traded up for Anthony Miller. They traded up for David Montgomery. And you know, they've they've j- just been kind of like pretending that that they that they kind of um, know how to evaluate players better than everyone else. That and they they misevaluated their own team. And I think that that uh, really explains that. Uh, explains why Mitchell Trubisky did not progress uh, from in, into his third season. And the, I think the Bills are doing the exact opposite. So uh, the Bills are being proactive about continuing to put uh, critical pieces around Josh Allen and um, keeping him in the best possible position to succeed, whereas the Bears just pretended that they, that they had already been there, that Mitchell Trubisky, oh, he made the Pro Bowl. You know, ev- by the way, everybody makes the Pro Bowl. And yeah. you know, he, he just said he, that he, he just he was there and he was not there. And in year three, everything fell apart for him. 
and now his trajectory. I don't. I just. I, I understand that comparison, and I see that comparison at times. But I just think that the organizations are operating at very different um, at very different levels, and the Bills are being smart and proactive about it, and the Bears were were the complete opposite. I tell you, it's kind of funny and ironic to think that it's the Bills that are out there running things correctly while a storied organization like Chicago is not. It's just not something that I'm used to hearing. It's usually completely the other way around when it comes to Buffalo. I guess it's just the way it's been for the better part of the last 20 years. But anyway, you spoke of talent around Josh Allen and Brandon Bean really hit a couple home runs last year in free agency when they signed John Brown and Cole Beasley. I don't want to say they were completely under the radar signings because they were expected to come in and be the top two receivers for Buffalo, but they weren't like marquee flashy signings around the league, but both guys had a really good year, especially John Brown. He had 72 catches for over a thousand yards and six touchdowns and Beasley had 67 catches for 778 and six touchdowns. Two very good players. How much do you think the addition of Stephon Diggs is going to impact them from a fantasy perspective? We already know what they could do on the football side of the field now. How do you think the three of these guys mesh together? Well, you know, I think that a lot of people have misconceptions that, oh, you know, this guy is going to take away coverage from this guy and, you know, this guy is going to benefit. That's really not how fantasy works. Fantasy works it. How fantasy works is you want opportunity and you want targets. And Stefan Diggs is undoubtedly going to pull away targets, way more targets than Isaiah McKenzie and Duke Williams did uh, away from John Brown and Cole Beasley. So from a fantasy standpoint, the beneficiary here is Josh Allen. You know, there. I think that you're you you can expect a little less consi- consistency from John Brown just in the box score, and I think the same could be said for Cole Beasley. Just Cole Beasley had some big games last yeah. year, and and I don't think we're going to see him have as many big games because I think that Stephon Diggs is going to have big games, and I think that Dawson Knox might step up and have some more big games. So, and, and I think that Stephon Diggs, uh, I think that his outlook goes down a little bit because first of all there is a history in the in the NFL and, and it really has spilled over to fantasy the biggest example um, this past year was Odell Beckham but wide receivers that change teams in the offseason tend to just not produce at their peak levels in year one with their new team and that doesn't mean that Stefan Diggs is going to go out there and stink it up right it just means that he's going to need some time to develop a rapport with Josh Allen and that I, I, you know, he's not going to get as, as much opportunity as he did, especially because he, he's jumping into a deeper uh, pass catcher core in, uh, in Buffalo with John Brown and, um, and uh, uh, Dawson Knox and Devin Singletary showed that he can really contribute to the passing game, especially in that playoff game and Cole Beasley. Whereas last year, Stefan Diggs, he had to compete for targets with Adam Thielen, but Adam Thielen, only play he missed six games with a hamstring injury and then and they really did not use their their tight ends in the passing game their third receiver was you know a fourth round or a a day three rookie in bc johnson and so it's just there's going to be a lot more competition for targets i still think that stefan diggs is going to be an efficient real life football player and i think the same for john brown and cole beasley but the beneficiary here is josh allen and not necessarily the individual parts in his pass catcher core. That's a great point to bring up the first year joining a new team. They may be expectations, but might be tempered 
ever so slightly for that reason alone. Now, you mentioned Dawson Knox a few times. What can we expect from him in year two? Because last year as a rookie, 28 catches, 388, two touchdowns. He had he flashed. He was one of those guys to me who really flashed. He looked really good at times, but he also suffered from some pretty key drops, some missed blocks, a couple penalties. He was very raw and inconsistent, which mm-hmm. I'm sure you kind of anticipated that him coming into the NFL last year. Now he's got a year under his belt, a lot of talent around him. What do you think his role on this team is going to be? Pretty much more the same, maybe a slight increase. Yeah, he had, uh, I remember watching him uh, in college at in that, um, that Ole Miss offense with uh, DK Metcalf and A.J. Brown, and he was the most boring guy to watch <laughs> in the entire 2019 draft. And it wasn't because of him. It was because of the way that he was used. And he was like, I mean, he was like a he was like a fullback H-back almost. I mean, he had 18 career catches, zero career touchdowns, but he goes and he rips up his pro day. And, you know, he, I mean, he, he's, he was clearly like a, a, a superlative athlete. I think he was a top four uh, in terms of spark athleticism. He's a top four tight end in last year's draft. And that made him immediately interesting. And then where the Bills took him, because they were pretty aggressive. Was it, was it early third round or something like that? Yeah, they traded two fourths yeah. to move up in the third round to get him. Yeah. Yeah. So when you see a team, when you see a guy with athleticism like that, and you know, you you just know from watching him in his college offense that it, it wasn't his fault. It was just the way that he was used. And then you see a team go like go in on him like that. He became very, very interesting, I thought. And I thought he had a really interesting first season because he wasn't necessarily supposed to be that starting tight end because they had signed Tyler Croft. But then when he got in there, I mean, he definitely did not embarrass himself. And from a fantasy standpoint, we know that over the years, rookie tight ends just tend to do nothing when, you know, even when they get playing time, but he did more than nothing. And he capitalized on his playing time, I thought. And, um, and we know that he's got that untapped, you know, potential as a receiver. I mean, he had, he caught more passes this past season than he did in his entire college career. Yeah. We know he's got that, that athleticism in his back pocket. So man, um, I, I just, I'm just excited to see about his trajectory. I don't know if he's necessarily, you know, going to all of a sudden, especially with all the, all, you know, their three receivers set now. I, but I, I don't know if he's def- definitely going to jump into like, you know, being a big time fantasy tight end, but I do think he's probably going to mix in a few big games. And um, I just think he's going to continue to get better because uh, obviously he's young, he's athletic, and you know now he's getting that opportunity to really catch passes, which he didn't get to do at all in college. The last guy in the Bills that I want to talk about from a fan- fantasy perspective is definitely Devin Singletary. Rookie last year, 775 yards. Average 5.1 yards per carry was second in the NFL behind only Lamar Jackson. So he was actually the best running back in the NFL in yards per carry. Also caught 29 passes, so he could catch the ball out of the backfield. Very shifty, talented runner. Downside being that he suffered an injury early in the season, and the Bills really babied him into the lineup because they had Frank Gore last mm-hmm. year. He didn't play, he didn't get a lot of snaps. And there were definitely, he had one game, I don't remember the opponent, but he had two fumbles at one game late in the season. And you mm-hmm. could definitely see, there were some trust issues with him, I'm sure because of that and also maybe because he was a rookie. But now, Frank Gore is obviously not coming back. Singletary's coming back second year. Very talented kid. How do you see his role in terms of 
fantasy football anyway going forward because it certainly seems like this is going to be the Bills featured back. If they go out and sign a veteran, it's probably going to be a low-key guy or maybe they go get a mid-round draft pick. But it definitely is going to be Devin Singletary as the clear-cut number one going into 2020. Yeah, over the last six games, he averaged 20 uh, touches per game too. So, yeah. uh, And, I mean, if, if we can get that out of him in 2020, that would be fantastic. Uh, the concern for Devin Singletary from strictly from a fantasy standpoint is that is we can go back to Cam Newton when Cam Newton um, was the quarterback for Carolina and Jonathan Stewart was the main back and kind of in his prime, Jonathan Stewart never caught a ton of passes and he never scored a bunch of touchdowns because Cam Newton would vulture him at the goal line. Uh, and Cam Newton, instead of checking down to Jonathan Stewart, would just run with the ball, you know, when, when his reads were covered. And so I think that that is, you know, the, the concern for the upside of Devin Singletary strictly in terms of what he's going to do in the box score. Um, on the field, yeah, I, I was very impressed with him. I liked how they, how they did feed him uh, a lot down the stretch, how he caught, I think, six or seven or eight, even eight balls in the playoff game. So that is a little bit reassuring. Uh, from from the uh, the receiving game standpoint, um, it'll be interesting to see if they add anybody to him uh, in the, in the backfield. I think that they probably will, uh, but it's not you know necessarily going to be like a big time back. Uh, I don't think you know because they're just there's I don't think they're going to use, use a high draft pick on a running back, and, I don't, and there's really no big time backs left in free agency. Let's take a quick break. Want to let you know today's episode is being supported by Sounds Assured. So look, it seems that everyone out there has a podcast today. I spent a lot of time listening to them. And the biggest mistake that I hear, I can almost instantly tell. In fact, almost all the time, many people make this mistake. You go out, spend all your money on fancy microphones and boom arms, interfaces, recording devices, headphones, all the bells and whistles. But here's the problem. You get all this stuff and you don't treat your recording environment. I'm talking about mainly your walls, your ceiling, the result. Despite all the money you spent, all the stuff you got, the audio still sounds like crap. Listen, you need to invest in acoustic treatments. You got to make the gear that you spend your hard-earned money on thrive. Sounds assured is top-notch acoustic foam. I know this because I personally have some of my own home studio furnished by Sounds Assured. Available in multiple sizes with very reasonably priced and this is the most important thing excellent quality it's actually good stuff you can go on amazon and get the cheapest stuff out there and trust me i've done it too it might look the part but it doesn't work sounds assured definitely does again folks invest in your audio the right way visit soundsassured.com in fact give them a call someone will be more than happy to discuss your needs with you as a bonus use promo code moran 10 you'll get 10 percent off any order do yourself, do your podcast, do your audio production a very big favor. Go check out soundsassured.com. The Bills were rumored to have interest in Melvin Gord in various mm-hmm. degrees. Of, you know, the report saying that he turned down more money to go to Denver and there are other reports out there. Ones that personally, I believe that say the Bills did not make an offer. But regardless, it was at least mm-hmm. interest there. Does that tell you that quite maybe... They're not completely sold on this guy as being in like that clear cut number one undisputed feature back. Or do you think going forward that that's his job right now? 
Yeah, I just I think it's going to be just interesting. You know, we're going to have to wait and see, and and it, and they'll they'll tell us by the moves that they make. I think that bringing in a veteran like let's say Devonte Freeman, who isn't going to cost half of what Melvin Gordon did, right? And you know, just would be I think a, a good influence in the running back room, and you know, a guy who's you know who knows how to pick up the blitz, and you know has has you know been to a Super Bowl and. Um, actually, he missed a, a blitz pickup in the Super Bowl that uh, got Ma- uh, Matt Ryan sacked. But he he does have a good track record, even going back to Florida State, of being a good pass blocking running back. Uh, I think that a guy like that would make a lot of a lot of sense, and maybe even more sense than for the Bills than Melvin Gordon would have. What about a guy like say Carlos Hyde or a pass catcher like Chris Thompson? Those guys interest you at all? Uh, Chris Thompson, yes. I think I, I want Carlos Hyde to stay away from Devin Singletary because I think that if Carlos Hyde goes there, he ends up like, you know, getting almost as many carries as Devin Singletary. And, Ooh, no, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we don't, we don't want to mess around with that. You know, just keep Carlos Hyde away from the players that we like. You know, I really like Duke Johnson. It was so frustrating last year uh, to watch Carlos Hyde take away his carries. But um, I think that Devontae Freeman, if you want to go a little more high end, and then Chris Thompson, if you want to go, I think you you get Chris Thompson for like you know two million bucks in in you know over one year, and um, he he could abs- he's an explosive space back who just has not been able to stay healthy. I'm with Evan Silva from Establish the Run. By the way, dude, I should probably thank you because one of the benefits of being friends with you is that I probably DM'd you at least five or six times during the season last year. I haven't talked to you on the air at least since last season, asking you. For mm-hmm. advice, it's pretty pretty cool to have you in my pocket to do something like that. <laughs> I did win my division last year in my fantasy league, but I gagged in the playoffs. I lost to my wife. Kind of, well, I don't even want to say it. it's kind of embarrassing because she won the league. She won the whole thing, and that's her second oh, straight good. year. Hey. She's won it two straight years, so I'm actually the the dumb one in this family when it comes to fantasy football. But anyway, I wanted to spend our last few minutes kind of going around the league, and I'm just going to throw out some players that switch teams and kind of get a take from you on how they might fit in that organization and what fantasy wise, of course, because that's what you do, what their impact may be. And obviously the big name is Tom Brady. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that thought at the end of the day, through all this Hyper Bowl over the last few weeks or so, even a couple months, that Brady was going to return to New England. That didn't happen. He's in Tampa now. Lots of weapons. I'm down here in Florida, so I see them play a lot. Mm-hmm. What's your thought on Tom Brady going to Tampa and is can he have a nice uptick in fantasy football value for 2020? Yes, I think he can. I think he can. Um, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans may be the best one-two punch at receiver in the league. I think that they can get a lot more out of OJ Howard as well. Um, I think that this is a team that needs to, badly needs to add a pass catching running back um, because that has been part of Tom Brady's bread and butter over the years, but. I mean, he, he really had no weapons th- this past year. And really over the last two years, Rob Gronkowski was a shell of himself in 2018, wasn't there in 2019. All he really had was Julian Edelman, who by the end of the season was playing with you know, several injuries to his ribs and his legs. Right. And I mean, he, he, was, he, he was a shell of himself uh, for sure down the stretch. But they need to add, um, the Bucks need to add a pass-catching running back. That's not something that they have right now. And uh, they... Um, uh, but I, I think that other, other than that, like you, you, like Tom Brady is the antithesis of Jameis Winston. They are like the polar opposite players. T- 
Tom Brady is like an efficient, short to intermediate passer. And Jameis, you know, who never panics under pressure. And Jameis Winston panics his way into pick sixes. And, I mean, they, they could go from leading the NFL in turnovers. I mean, Jameis Winston had 35 turnovers this past season to having the fewest turnovers in the league with Tom Brady at quarterback. So I think it makes him a, a, a better team. And uh, it, it also uh, and it also helps Tom Brady's fantasy value because of the guys that he now has around him. You know, it's kind of funny, and this is where the real difference between fantasy football and NFL football could come in because Evan Silva, the fantasy football GM, probably would love to have Jameis Winston on his team. He was a top five fantasy mm-hmm. quarterback last year, despite all those turnovers. However, Evan Silva, the general manager of the Montreal whatevers, probably doesn't want Jameis Winston on his team because he's going to throw 30, 30 plus interceptions right. and, and lose you six or seven games. Now, when it comes to the Patriots, this could change. In fact, this could literally change by this evening when people are listening to this. But as of the moment, anyway, New England, they've only added Brian Hoyer and it's probably going to be him or Jared Stidham as quarterback this year. Does that surprise you that they didn't go out, at least not yet anyway, and that they didn't not only just sign a free agent quarterback or that they didn't pull a trade for Cam Newton, who we'll talk about in a few minutes, or a guy like Andy Dalton or something like that? Are you kind of surprised? It feels to me almost like maybe I'm being hopeful by saying this, but as things stand right now, I almost feel like the Patriots are kind of punting away 2020. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, I There have been some smart people that have mentioned that as a possibility, but then you look at some of the moves they made, like uh, re-signing Devin McCourty, and I'm just not so sure. It seems like they're trying to keep together uh, a lot of the critical parts uh, of their defense, which was the best in the AFC this past season. And, um, you know, I, I'm just – I'm not totally sure about that. And then they, they placed the franchise tag on Joe Dooney, and I don't think that that's something that they would have done if they're going in the tank for a season. But, I mean, I, I don't think it's totally crazy to think. I think that Trevor – uh, Lawrence is, is is an incredible prospect, and you know there are teams that probably should think about taking a step back for a year and trying to get him. Um, but Bill, I mean, and Bill Belichick, I mean, he's not a young guy; he's an old guy. So you know, just punting away a, a, a full year of his career just doesn't seem like something that's uh, quite in his DNA. But I, I don't know; it's something I'm kind of keeping an eye on. Um, and and you know, it's interesting that you mention it. Uh, with with Jarrett Stidham, he looked great in the preseason last year. That doesn't necessarily mean, mean anything, um, but apparently they really do believe in him. But I, I'm with you. I, I am surprised that they haven't looked into or that they haven't pulled the trigger on a move for a guy like Andy Dalton, um, who I think would have made some sense uh, in their offense to keep them competitive at the quarterback position and at least just com- uh, you know go, uh, go and compete to start with. Jarrett Stidham, I don't think that Brian Hoyer is nearly as good uh, as Andy Dalton is. Uh, and then with Cam Newton, I, I don't know. He, he just doesn't seem like the ty- type of quarterback that the Patriots would target, but he absolutely has the highest ceiling of any quarterback that is available right now. Um, I, I don't know. Just, he, he just seems like a, a kind of odd fit in New England. He does, and it really is a mystery because I agree with you. I just can't see them, Belichick, at this age, just punting a season away. It kind of feels like they have a planted quarterback. We just don't know what it's going to be yet. What about DeAndre Hopkins? Because that was a huge trade 
It kind of felt like it came out of nowhere. Compensation aside, which many people think is ridiculous, big fantasy impact because, first of all, you got David Johnson going from Arizona to Houston. That's a big deal. And then you got, Mm -hmm. of course, Hopkins, who arguably is one of the two best receivers anyway in the NFL, going to Arizona, playing with Kyler Murray. That's a big fantasy impact, I would assume, for Murray. How do you think it uh how do you think it unfolds for Hopkins in Arizona? I think that the analysis and the expectation and the projection is just very similar to the Bills situation with Diggs, because you've already got two established targets there. You know, Larry Fitzgerald's kind of like the Cole Beasley and Christian Kirk kind of like the uh, the John Brown. And then you're dropping DeAndre Hopkins into the role that was played last year by Demir Bird, who's like a preseason star. And uh, 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 Keyshawn Johnson, who was a six-round pick, so you're just dropping DeAndre Hopkins into that role. And I think that it's not—it's not necessarily going to benefit DeAndre Hopkins. It's just—it's going to be hard to replicate what he did with Deshaun Watson. He had 150 targets in five straight seasons. Um, the rapport between DeAndre Hopkins and Deshaun Watson was just impeccable, up there with like Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams and Ben Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown and. Um, you know, even Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper has gotten to that point. But, you know, that lo- losing that chemistry and, again, with no off-season program to build to build that, I think that we, we may see DeAndre Hopkins not have the kind of statistical – Not again, not that he's going to stink, right. but he's just not going to ha- – you know, he's going to have like 120 targets as opposed to 165. And so his total, like, volume statistics at the end of the year are just not going to be what they were in Houston – But Kyler Murray, as I expect Josh Allen to do, Kyler Murray takes a big step. And Kyler Murray becomes a guy that is, you know, potentially like a top five or six quarterback in fantasy football. He's got that uh, that rushing ability. And, um, you know, now he has a a true number one to go along with Christian Kirk and Larry Fitzgerald, who are useful uh, role players. And um, but, yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I see that, that Kyler Murray is the big beneficiary and DeAndre Hopkins takes takes a little step back. Are you a Christian Kirk guy? Because I look at him and see somebody like Hopkins coming in. I'm not sure that Christian Kirk was ever going to be like a superstar number one receiver, like say a Hopkins mm-hmm. or a Michael Thomas. But you look at somebody with him with his talent and maybe with Hopkins there, do you see like a scenario where he could become like, say, Chris Godwin is to Mike Evans in Arizona? Does he have that kind of talent for you or should I be taking a step back with something like that? No, I, I think that that's reasonable. I mean, getting to what Godwin did last year would just be insane. But um, I definitely think that he is a guy that, well, he can play inside and out like Godwin can. Last year, he actually played mostly outside, uh, but he played, but he could definitely play in the slot. He played in the slot a ton at Texas A&M, and he played a, a decent amount there last year anyways. I think he was like 30% slot. So, if yeah, if, if – and they use four receivers in Arizona. I mean, they have two outside receivers and they have two inside receivers. And I think that Andy Isabella might be the other outside receiver opposite DeAndre Hopkins with Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk in the slot. Christian Kirk had some big games last year, but he also uh, dealt with a knee injury. And I think that I, I would like to see him play on the interior a little bit more because he's so good with the ball in his hands. He was an unbelievable return man at uh, Texas A&M, just really, really good uh, with the rock. And, um, yeah, I, I would love to see him on the inside. And then I think that, yeah, that, that comparison with Chris Godwin would start to make a lot of sense. Let's hit on a couple running backs real quick. First one, we talked about him a little bit earlier. Melvin Gordon, 
He goes to Denver. Obviously, I would think that benefits from a fantasy perspective, Austin Eckler with the Chargers. Now, in terms of Denver, were you a little surprised that he's going there, seeing that they had Lindsey and Freeman? And I would assume that Freeman might be the odd guy out in this scenario. But what's your thoughts on Gorin there? And again, in terms of fantasy value as well. Yeah, you could probably get Royce Freeman for a seventh round pick if you want. Yeah. Um, he, I, he probably gets traded. Um, unless they just want to keep him around for depth, but you need your third back to play special teams, and uh, I don't know if he if he plays special teams. Um, I mean, he hasn't to this point. I don't know if he can. Um, but yeah, Philip Lindsay turns into a change of pace back, and I mean that's fine. That that's always what he was supposed to be coming out of college, uh, and he's done more than that so far. But I think that it's still it's a good role. He's going to stay healthy. He's going to stay fresh. He's a really small guy. I mean, he's like five nine, one eighty. Um, and, but I, I and he's going to break off big runs in that in that lower usage role. Melvin Gordon is the main guy. He's going to catch more passes. He's going to get more goal line chances. Uh, the Denver offensive line, I think, is coming together pretty nicely. Uh, they signed Connor McGovern last offseason. They signed um, Jawan James, uh, Dalton Reisner, who they drafted in the second round last year. He is entering his second season, uh, and they have Mike Munchak, one of the best offensive line coaches in the league. So, yeah, pretty solid. Uh, landing spot for Melvin Gordon. What and about then, yeah? You mentioned you, you mentioned Austin Eckler. I mean, the thing is that I'm just worried because he caught 92 passes this past season, and yeah. you know, with quarterbacks like Tyrod Taylor, uh, who is going to run it before he checks down, I just you know, you, like Austin Eckler is going to catch like 60 passes this year and not 92. So if you play in a PPR league. You know, that's shaving 30 points off of his projection, not to mention, you know, all the, the yards that he would lose. And also the fact that he scored eight receiving touchdowns last year. And it's just not reasonable to expect a running back to score eight. You know, I, I think he probably will score like three or four or maybe five in 2020. And then, you know, I, I think from a rushing standpoint, um, they're going to involve other guys, Justin Jackson. And I think they probably add another back. So I think that Austin Eckler, although Melvin Gordon is leaving, uh, I think that he actually may lose value downgrading from Phillip Rivers to Tyrod Taylor. I got to tell you, Evan, I'm tempted to say that I don't buy what the Chargers are selling right now, that they're not going to go out and still get a veteran back there. I'm very confident they're going to draft somebody early, but Lynn did coach Tyrod in Buffalo. So that, and he likes him a lot. So yep. that's the only reason why. I'm not saying that I don't buy it. I don't want to buy it, but I, I guess I'm going to have to. What about Todd Gurley? He goes to Atlanta. He's basically taking Freeman's spot right now. Do you still think he's got a lot left? Is he still one of those guys that, you know, it wasn't long ago? By the way, holy crap, dude. These guys that we're talking about right now, Gurley and Gordon, you talked about Freeman, David Johnson not long ago. These were like top six, seven picks in most fantasy football drafts, and now they're oh, all yeah. on different teams and in different roles. What about Todd Gurley? Does he still got something left, do you think, or is this guy pretty much almost washed up? Yeah, it, it goes quick at running back. And, sure and, does. You know, the, the, and the NFL, you know, and the NFL it isn't like sticking by these guys through troubled times. I mean, they're just moving on, you know. The Chargers did not pay Melvin Gordon. The Rams cut Todd Gurley. Um, you know, the Falcons cut Devontae Freeman. You know, David Johnson gets traded. You know, so... The, the teams don't have any level of commitment to the running backs either, which, you know, continues the churn. But 
uh, with Todd Gurley, like, yeah, I mean, that his effectiveness, just you look at any advanced metric last season, except for just, you know, any advanced metric, uh, and he was average to below average. He did score a bunch of touchdowns. About a bunch of them came in, like, a, a, in garbage time. Like, Sean McVay would leave in his starters. It was strange. They'd be down, you know, getting crushed by the 49ers, and, you know, they leave in their starters, and Todd Gurley ends up with, like, 23 fantasy points after he had, like, six through three and a half quarters. And yeah. he's like, you know. Um, but he – yeah, I, I, I'm not I'm not entirely sure. I mean, I do think it's a good landing spot for him. He's going to get opportunity. He did play in 15 games and averaged 17 touches per game last year. So although I think that the knee has affected his effectiveness, uh, it has not. it's not necessarily costing him time. I want you to react to two quarterbacks. One of them, I think, was not a big surprise. The other one. Decent surprise. Philip Rivers goes to Indy. I don't really think that was much of a surprise. And then Teddy Bridgewater goes to Carolina, which to me, it's not that I don't like the signing. I'm talking only from football here, not fantasy football. We were talking about, you talked about Trevor Lawrence. You hit on him earlier. I feel like the Jacksonville Jaguars may as well put a Trevor Lawrence logo on their uniform this year or something, because I feel like that's a direction they're headed in. And I kind of felt Mm -hmm. that was the case with Carolina. Trading players, guys are retiring, they're cutting their quarterback. Mm-hmm. But Teddy Bridgewater is not a terrible quarterback. What's your thoughts on both those guys to those teams and how you think they'll do in the realm of fantasy? Because that's what your expertise mainly is. Well, I'm excited to see Rivers behind an actually good offensive line because yeah. he has not had that in many, many years. The Colts are bringing back all five of their starters and they had a top five offensive line this past year. I think that they need to add another pass catcher. Uh, T.Y. Hilton is. Uh, on the wrong side of 30, and um, his body is starting to break down a little bit. Jack Doyle really has not been able to stay healthy. You know, that's their number one receiver and their number one tight end right now. Then you're looking at guys like Zach Pascal and Paris Campbell and, um, you know, kind of just wild card players that we just haven't seen a whole lot of. Um, And then, uh, but I, I do think that he went to a good landing spot because he knows Frank Reich and Nick Sirianni their top two offensive coaches from um, from the Chargers. They they were all with the Chargers, and so I think he's going to be able to hit the ground running uh, whenever, hopefully, training camp occurs. And then with Bridgewater, you know, I, I wasn't excited about that signing, and I, I did think that they were going to go for the full uh, full scale rebuild, like you. But man, I mean, they they gave him good money, uh, three years, sixty three million. They're bringing back Curtis Samuel and DJ Moore who are awfully good young, an awfully good young receiver duo, Ian Thomas at tight end, who was really flashed when Greg Olson has been hurt the past two seasons and is a, a prime breakout candidate this year. And then they add Robbie Anderson. Yeah. Just, I mean, nobody, nobody steps, stepped up and, and went after Robbie Anderson. The Panthers were like, well, we will. And now, I mean, they, like their offense looks really, really explosive on paper. And Teddy Bridgewater is not necessarily a, a dynamic sort of player in his own right, but surrounding him with all those guys, I mean, I think that they're, they're putting him like in, in the best possible situation to succeed. Uh, he also has history with their new OC, Joe Brady, who uh, I was immensely impressed with uh, at LSU this past year. And, um, and Robbie Anderson, of course, has uh, familiarity with Matt Rule from uh, Temple, who was, he, he was, that was his coach at Temple. So, um, I don't know. Their offense is really interesting, and their defense is going to be bad. 
I mean, their defense is trash. (laughs) And so, so, so that's going to put their offense in situations where they're going to need to score and they're going to have enough weapons to be able to score. So I'm looking at them as like, you know, kind of like a buying low opportunity in fantasy football. Yeah. And I mean, obviously Christian McCaffrey, maybe the best running back in fantasy football. Yeah. They're going to be a team that loses a lot of games, but they're going to be kind of fun to watch. And from a fantasy perspective, sure. They're going to be fun. Yeah. They're going to, they're going to lose a lot of games like 34 to 24. Yeah. And it'll be fun to watch. Last question here for you, Evan, two guys right now from a fantasy perspective, at least very big names that are currently unemployed, at least as we tape this late in the Tuesday night, Jameis Winston and Cam Newton. Cam Newton is, he just got released literally today. Apparently he took a physical. He's got a clean bill of health. He's good to go. Are you surprised that neither guy has found work yet? Now in Cam's case, I get it because they were trying to trade him and no one was going to take that contract. And Jameis Winston's waiting for a good opportunity. Where is that opportunity? That's what I'm getting to you here with this question. Where do you think these guys might end up? Now we talked about the Chargers and we both agree that we're going to take Anthony Lynn at his word that Tyrod Taylor is going to be the veteran that they keep and they draft somebody because that just seems like a really good scenario. Other than Miami, who's currently got Fitzpatrick in a top five pick, I don't see a lot of openings around the league, a lot of opportunities, at least to start. So what do you think is a good fit for one or both of these guys? Cam's in a tough spot because he, you know, there was still still some hope that he would, if the Panthers had, you know, um, like made it to the playoffs, that he could come back late in the season. So he delayed his Liz Frank surgery. I mean, he suffered a Liz Frank foot injury, which is, that, that's not good. And the, the recovery time from that surgery is six to eight months. So he delayed that surgery until December. And I mean, we're only in March, you know, we're only in late March. So, I mean, I, like, I don't know. And, and people are not supposed to be going to team facilities because of the coronavirus. So like, how is he going to take a physical? How is he going to go in and, and do, you know, you know, like just appear in front of people. It just, it doesn't seem like that. I mean, I, I think that Cam Newton might linger as a free agent for several more weeks. Jameis Winston, I think, might just have to take a backup job, um, go somewhere, you know, sit behind. I don't know. I, I What I did is I, I went and I looked back at who was in the front office, who was in the coaching staff when Jameis Winston was drafted uh, in 2000, what was it 16 or 2015 with the number one overall pick, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers took him and you know, who was there to help make those decisions? Because those guys probably believed in him because they drafted him number one overall. Yeah. John Robinson, the Titans GM, was there. Would Jameis Winston go and be the backup for a year behind uh, Ryan Tannehill? Um, and then uh, Dirk Cutter was the head coach there, and uh, you know, w- and now he is the OC in Atlanta. Would Jameis Winston go be? the uh the number two behind matt ryan you know they know him from the division etc etc i think there's a lot of a lot of teams that just wouldn't want him around because he's kind of a threatening presence uh because you know if something goes wrong with their kind of fringe starter that they already have like everybody's going to be calling for Jameis winston to go in i mean he did turn the ball over 35 times last year but he also threw 30 touch 30 touchdowns and he led the freaking league in passing yards i mean 
And Jameis Winston can play. It's just he makes awful, awful, you know, he makes like six awful decisions every single game. And, you know, they, he tends to pay for it. So um, I, I don't know. I, I think that Jameis Winston is going to end up having to settle for a backup job. And Cam Newton is just going to end up having to wait. You said threatening presence, and that really struck a chord with me because the Buffalo Bills right now, Matt Barkley is the backup quarterback. I think it's anybody would say either of these quarterbacks are better options than Matt Barkley. And when mm-hmm. in, in terms of Cam Newton, you know this as well as anybody, that Buffalo-Carolina connection, they're constantly piping in players that are from Carolina. Who would be bigger than Cam Newton? That would be a thought of mine. But then I'm thinking if the Bills were to do that, you're creating, just among fans in the media, the first time Josh Allen has a bad quarter, let's yep. put Cam in. Do you think sometimes that kind of thinking makes it more trouble than what it's worth? Even if that backup quarterback, let's say Matt Barkley, is he as good as Cam Newton? Hell no, of course he's not. But you don't have that pressure that's leaning over your starter that, hey, I throw a bad pick, I make a mistake, and fans and media, if nothing else, are going to be clamoring for Cam Newton, who obviously is more accomplished and maybe to a lesser degree, somebody like Jameis Winston is as well. For those reasons, do you think the bills would be smart to just say, you know what? I'm going to roll with Matt Barkley again this year. Absolutely. And, and it comes back to that threatening presence and it's not just fans and media. It's the locker room too. I mean, Cam Newton has won an MVP. Cam Newton has been to the Super Bowl, and inside the locker room, if Josh Allen, you know, has, you know, let's say a two and a half game stretch where he's not playing well and the Bills aren't scoring points and they've got freaking Cam Newton in the locker room as, as an option, you know, it's just a dynamic that you don't even want to entertain, you know, because you are really going out of your way to uh, make it so that Josh Allen succeeds. That, that's why you went out and got Stephon Diggs. That's why you revamped your receiver core the year before in your offensive line. And, you know, the whole point of this thing is to try to make Josh Allen work. And I think that you just put him in a tougher spot and you put the coaches in a tougher spot and you put everybody in a tougher spot by uh, adding that extra pressure uh, to Josh Allen. I just don't think that it's a dynamic that you want to put into the locker room. You know, some people will say, oh, well, if Josh Allen's the man, it won't even matter. But you know what? That's not really, I mean, especially in the NFL, which is it goes on on a week-to-week basis. Everything happens week-to-week. And, you know, just one game is magnified so much that it can, it can be overblown. It's all we talk about for an entire week, one game. And so um, it, it's just not a dynamic that you want to put in the locker room, I think. I agree with you 100%. And I think when it comes to these two guys, ultimately, maybe we end up waiting to the end of the draft. Maybe a team like Miami with the fifth pick, they really want Tua, and they don't like the next two quarterbacks on the board. And for whatever reason, they don't get them. Maybe they go sign a Cam Newton or Winston and let them compete for a starting spot. That's probably how it'll play out. But anyway, everyone give Evan a follow on Twitter at Evan Silva. Of course, check out SavageToRun.com. Plenty of free content and subscriptions available for the serious fantasy football fan. Thanks, dude. And I'm going to tell you what. I want everyone to know this, too. One last thing. I don't know many people at all that genuinely, legitimately love talking football more than you do. It's one thing to do a podcast with me, and I trust me, I'm very appreciative of that. But you're just one of those guys who doesn't ever get sick of it. You just love talking football. 
Well, I appreciate that, man. And, um, you know, it's, um, it's, it's a great compliment and, um, you know, let's, uh, let's, we got so much damn free time, Pat. How about we do it again before, um, b- before things get back underway? Deal. All right. All right, folks, that is going to do it for another episode. Very, very big thank you again, Elvin Silva, EstablishTheRun.com, fantasy football guru, my man. Thank you very much, Evan. Also want to thank today's show supporters, 26 Shirts, Sounds Assured, and of course, Automute. Guys, if you have not done so already, please go ahead, take a quick minute, subscribe to this podcast, rate and review, all that fun stuff. It really helps me continue to grow this podcast. Also, check us out on YouTube, Moranalytics Podcast YouTube channel. I have highlight clips from current and past episodes up there. Also has some original audio content that you'll only find there. So hit that up, subscribe, hit that little bell next to it for notifications. Moranalytics Podcast YouTube channel. Then, of course, last but not least, follow me on Twitter, at Tweets. I'm constantly tweeting out podcast updates promos, upcoming guests, prize pack giveaways, banner, bickering with Bills fans all the time. I like live on Twitter. So hit me up there at Pat Moran Tweets. Thank you so, so much for listening. I really appreciate it. I see it every week. It's how I end every episode because it means the most to me. So many podcasts out there. You're tuning into this one. It means a lot to me. It really does. So have a good week. Stay safe. Do what you're told. And I'll talk to you again. Brand new episode coming up on Friday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.